listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. My name is Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We're both on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. So, Wade, I'll kick it over to you to get us going. What you got for us today? Well, today we are going to uh, talk about discerning the spiritual reality to some particular sins that are uh, decimating the American landscape. Uh, before we do, let me just uh, offer one word of uh, exhortation as to why we're doing this. We go to a conservative church, a church that believes the Bible, a church filled with people who want to have faithful marriages and build multi-generational households is a, is a good, healthy, biblical church. And yet I guarantee you at least one, probably more households are going to have a kid tempted by some of the sins we'll talk about today. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who is a discipleship pastor in a pretty rural part of our state, uh, most of the kids there go to Christian schools, and he has said multiple kids in that church, multiple teens in that church are struggling with same-sex identification. They're either mm -hmm. identifying as LGBTQ, or they're tempted by identifying it, or they're waffling on whether or not homosexuality is sinful. They didn't get that from nowhere. Yeah. It's, it's in the air that we breathe. And so it's those people I'm thinking of yeah. as I prep and as I read through scripture on these things, and as we talk about discerning the demonic element because right. that's the case that we're going to make here is is that there is a demonic component to these sins it's those it, people i'm thinking of yeah that as you were talking it reminded me of a of a woman who visited our church recently she we're in an urban environment across the street is a, a little convenience store and this woman lives in the apartment above the convenience store and she showed up at a church service and afterwards uh, asked to speak to a pastor so i sat down with her for a few minutes and she asked me to pray for her daughter, uh, who was, I, I think she said like around 12 years old, mm -hmm. you know, preteen, uh, sort of age. The woman had been, uh, through in an abusive relationship with her husband, I think was perhaps even ex-husband at that point, they were separated. And so she moved here to seek safety, uh, from this man, the child was left alone a lot at home while the mom had to work a lot of crazy hours to keep the bills up. And she told me that this girl started on this watching YouTube videos. And one thing led to another to where she got into videos about spirituality, mm. new age, paganism. Uh, and it, it pulled her in to where over a short period of time, it, it radically changed this little girl to where she was saying and acting in very bizarre ways yeah. uh, because she'd been dabbling in these spiritual things. Um, and so the, the point we're wanting to, yeah. to, to, to get across to everyone today is that there are the, the spiritual realm is real. Yeah. Well, this is a theme over a few episodes we want to record. And we have firsthand experience with a number of people. This was just the one that came to mind. But firsthand experience of people getting caught up into this and the sorts of behaviors that are associated with it, because they are there are some patterns that we can discern. And if we're able to see those patterns, we might be able to detect a demonic element mm -hmm. within it. Now, 
we're always going to be, there's going to be some degree of speculation because the spiritual realm is something we can't see with our physical eyes. So it's a matter of discerning in the spirit. Uh, but we do believe that we have the Holy Spirit within us and the Holy Spirit leads us into truth and that we can see things um, led by the spirit. So it's real. Yeah, I think that's, um, the, I'm, I'm going to give us a bumper sticker statement here of what this episode uh, is going to argue uh, and hopefully illuminate for you. But just to to reinforce what you just said in a blunt way, human beings are not the only sentient creatures that God created. Yeah, that's he right. created angels. He created a class of beings. I'm, I'm using shorthand that the Bible uses sometimes when I say angels, but a class of spiritual beings who worshiped him from all eternity and many of whom rebelled against him and who now want humankind to suffer. There are created invisible eternal beings who hate me and my children yeah and who hate you and your children and who despise the gospel of jesus christ and his church and if we don't account for that reality when we look at sin when we look at sanctification when we look at going to church on sunday morning uh, we're gonna miss about half of what's going on in the world oh absolutely and that that's to our own detriment yeah yeah. you you made a comment there that i've I just want to give you a chance to clarify. Uh, you mentioned eternal beings and mm. they worship God from all eternity. I think you mean to say the God who was from all eternity, but these beings are not eternal in the way that God is. Correct. When I say eternal, I mean they will continue on the way all human beings will continue on. So when we say a human being is an eternal soul, that's that's usually yeah. what we mean, not that they existed uh, for all eternity past, yeah. but that they will never be annihilated and cease to exist in the future. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Thank, thanks for the clarification. So these are these are beings that will exist either in heaven if they have not rebelled or in hell in the lake of fire if they have rebelled. And uh, the, the ones that hate God hate us too. And they right. hate us because we bear the image of God. So let me give you the bumper sticker statement of what, of what uh, we're going to argue here today. It is this, abortion, sexual perversion, and the transgender genital mutilation phenomenon these three particular features of american life are congruent with the desires of hell that doesn't mean that every single abortion clinic is governed by a demon Um, what it does mean is that infanticide the murder of babies in the womb and the discarding of their bodies as though they're trash um, the rampant sexual perversion we see in men pursuing romance and sexual intercourse with other men and women doing it with other women and adults doing it with children and uh, people doing it with inanimate objects and that sort of normalization that we're seeing and the the cutting of bodies and of healthy flesh that we're seeing in transgender surgeries all of these things they go in the same direction they are moving in the same current as the demonic so you're you're being careful with your words intentionally um what is it that you're wanting to prevent people from assuming that you're saying that you're not saying not every person who is tempted by same-sex attraction is interacting with a demon yeah not even the majority of people i would imagine who are same-sex attracted which is sinful it is sinful Mm -hmm. to desire the same sex Uh, that's a debate within christendom right now but you just heard my position and i think it's it's incredibly biblical but not every person who has that temptation is being possessed by or animated by a demon or right. demons. Same thing with abortion. Uh, the same thing with somebody who goes to um, 
Children's Hospital to have a transgender supposed surgery uh, or operation. Those things are not necessarily in each and every case being compelled or influenced by a specific demon. However, they all are uh, animated in a similar way or uh, by similar desires to that which animate hell, which Mm -hmm. animate the demonic. Demons hate God and therefore they hate people. People bear bear the image of God. Uh, This is this is sort of like how um, I remember back when Saddam Hussein was was deposed and removed. Yeah, yeah. They they toppled that statue of him in Baghdad. Yes. When you hate the king, you hate things that look like the king or the represent image. the king. Yeah. Or when you hate God, which all demons and Satan do, you will hate the beings that look like him or represent him. So when you see rampant self-destruction, rampant... Um, disregard of what humans are like you're seeing in these three sins in the american um, ecosystem right now you're seeing something Mm -hmm. that moves on the same train track as hell yeah even if it's not connected to the same engine yeah yeah yeah. as you said that what i'm noticing about the three examples you mentioned uh of of abortion sexual perversion self-mutilation uh and the manifestations of those three things all three of those have something to do with either the abuse of or the misuse of human flesh. That's right. And human flesh is the one thing that is unique about our uh, creation. We are embodied. Spiritual beings are disembodied or spiritual. They do not have flesh the way we do. And so the one thing that makes us unique is that we are enfleshed, embodied, and we bear the image of God. And so those are the things about us that will be assaulted by the enemy. That's right. And so... What I want Christians to do, and, and Michael and I are both in agreement on this, and this is something that I think has become a, a bit of a passion of ours, is helping people to see and account for the spiritual reality behind things like this. Yeah. So it is not mere so while while there is not a demon animating each and every abortion, it is not simply a coincidence that there are hundreds of these facilities that poison and cut up babies. In the same American landscape as there are rampant sexual immorality and flaunting of sexual immorality mm-hmm. and pride in sexual immorality and the the cutting of flesh in these transgender surgeries that are now becoming more and more mainstreamed and more and more accepted and even government funded. Yeah. Th- those, those are not just coincidences. There is something hellish that is happening. And so I think the Bible gives us warrant to say when, when we see that many things that look or smell like hell, that look or smell like the demonic in an area, in an age, in an epoch, in a generation, we should stop for a second and say, is there something demonic happening here that we need to treat in a demonic way, account for in a demonic way, pray against Mm -hmm. in a demonic way? Yeah, I I like that because it's, I I remember growing up in the 80s uh, that you know, you would have, I went to church camp a bunch and heavy metal music uh, and mm. back masking. You remember back masking back no, in the day? No, but, but you've never heard of back. You've heard of it. No. You've never heard of back masking? No. What is oh, it? Oh, wait. You, I was born in 85. Uh, you were right in the middle of it. Okay. So dear listener and Wade, yeah. dear Wade, <laughs> um, back masking was a thing. You're going to have to Google this later. Okay. And I hope I'm not going to get something gross. Am I? Uh, no, I don't okay. think so. All right. So what you would have is um, these Christian, um, I I guess it was a, it was a cottage industry in uh, the Christian ecosystem, the Mm -hmm. evangelical subculture. 
where these guys would show up at youth groups or church camps and they would say, hey, the, the rock and roll music that you're listening to is demonic. And, you know, they would have like certain album covers would have pentagrams and mm-hmm. demonic imagery on. I mean, I've, I've seen these. Um, but then they would they would say it's like there are hidden satanic messages. Oh, and they would like play it backwards or yes. something. OK, my dad did tell me about this. Yeah, but I was a little kid. So when I was a kid, I literally would uh, hook up a record player and take some of the records that I had and would. Yeah, would like spin it backwards with my finger and listen. To yeah, I think people I said like Madonna demonic. even had one. Oh, yeah, totally heard of Madonna. Yeah. Now, some of them are legit. They were, they were uh, done overtly. Yeah. Um. So it's like the in the recording studio, they would record something, uh, you know, normally and then, you know, embed it in mm-hmm. the track as a backward thing. But sometimes it was uh, the lyrics themselves, just the way they came out and you know, they would say, so the, yeah, the application point was burn your records, burn your cassette tapes. You know? Yeah. Um, and that was, so, so what we're not saying right. is there is Frank, the demon who is in charge of the Planned Parenthood here in Cincinnati. And we need to go and right. it, it is more of a, I like the way you say it, it smells like hell is a, it, it's like, I think Christians that can, can detect by the spirit things that just if you were to ask satan hey what's the top three things on your agenda right you know these three things uh would be at the top of the list and it's like if we have a sense of what does hell hate or what does hell Mm -hmm. desire we're going to find a few patterns and when we encounter these patterns their scripture gives us guidance about how to engage that how to respond to that i think the a good biblical picture of what we should be able to do or what we should seek for is uh, the Apostle Paul who has the slave girl who is uh, following behind him and who who shouts out, uh, you know, these men have come to proclaim the gospel of God or something like that to uh, about him. And the Apostle Paul can tell somehow in what this woman is saying, what this what this girl is saying over and over again, that there is not just her own mind not just her own vocal yeah. cords. There is something else present here and eventually he turns around and rebukes the unclean spirit. There's a kind of mature Christianity. There's a kind of looking after the things of God and, and faith in Yahweh, the God who actually exists and a, and a knowledge of the world he actually made that allows you to start to spot this is hellish. This is demonic. And mm-hmm. we can we can usually do this with the benefit of history Yeah. So like we look back at the Holocaust and I think most Christians would be able to look at pictures of uh, Jewish children just tossed Mm. into ovens or into open pit graves. And we would be able to say this is not just normal human evil. There is something else animating. Yeah, there is some there's another piece of of uh, uh, there's another personality at work here, even if I can't say specifically there were three demons that were inside Adolf Hitler's mind or heart. Like, I can't say that, but I can yeah. say this is not mere human evil. And so when we look back at historical events and we we have the benefit of some distance, I think we're able to do this. Yeah. What, I, what I want all of us to be able to do is do it now in the present yeah. when lives are still at stake. Yeah. So, so. I, what, how, how do you see this yeah, so, playing out? Um, so let, let me give you a, a, a couple uh a couple of examples from the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, uh, primarily known from its uh, for its basketball team, but UCLA. unfortunately, yes, this is John not. Wooden. Yeah, this is not as uh, 
as as happy a, an item that they should be proud of as those banners that John Wooden earned. Uh, so UCLA is one of the uh, most known, apparently, in the what they call gender affirm- affirmation surgery market. Um, but it, it is essentially mutilation of healthy bodies for the sake of um, sexual perversion. And let me be clear, there are people who think they're a man, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure out there somewhere listening to this, perhaps there is a boy who thinks he is a girl trapped in a boy's body. That boy is wrong, but I, I don't want to make that, um, I don't want to automatically say that that boy is himself uh, demonically motivated or under some direct influence of a demon correct, or a but, parent. Correct. Yeah. But as I watched this video of two medical professionals, so one, um, and we'll, we'll put the links in the show, na- show notes, but one was Valentina Rodriguez Triana. She's an MD and an assistant clinical professor. And the other is Mark Litwin, the chair of urology. So these are, these are medical professionals trained in the field. And as I watched them talk and smirk and at times even sort of joke in this, mm. what was supposed to be a sort of an informative webinar on these surgeries, it's impossible for me to think that there is that hell is at least not laughing with them. Yeah. The, the demonic at least is very happy about what they're doing and what they're describing and what they get paid handsomely to do to healthy human boys and girls, uh, young men and young women. These are just a few quotes of their gender affirmation surgery. So the, the first few are from uh, Valentina. She, she says a few things about um, women who are trying to become men through these surgeries. Now before, is this, do we need to give a, uh, a warning for, for children? Uh, so if you have young kids and you have not yet talked to them about um, sex, then it's probably not a good idea for them to listen to this. My kids uh, probably will. If your kids have been talked to about sex, or at least mine who have been talked about sex, I would have no problem with them hearing anything that's going to come out of my mouth. Uh, but yeah, thank you for the reminder. If they've not heard about sex, uh, probably uh, skip past this or send them out of the room. All right. So this is from Valentina. She says in, in this video that we'll have in the show notes, this is a little bit of anatomy. And I think it's always really good to go back to this first because it helps give people a sense of what they would like organs they would like to remove and organs they would like to keep. And I put in her little pause there because I, I got it word for word. So nobody can say I twisted this around. She said what they would like. And then she paused for a second and then said organs they would like to remove and organs they would like to keep. And this is, by the way, after she had just said that these were medically necessary operations, and that's why they should be covered by insurance. Hmm. They should be covered by insurance, she says, and in some cases are because they are medically necessary. But you get to choose which organs that God gave you in your body. Of course, she wouldn't acknowledge that God gave them, but you get to choose which ones you want to keep and which ones you don't. Hmm. Uh, a little further on, she says, the fallopian tubes, really their sole purpose is for conception and for fertility. And I had to pause it and replay that a couple times. The fact that she acknowledged that they have a purpose. Yeah, that is interesting language. Yeah. Purpose. Purpose implies a designer. Yes. And it's not there. If, if there is no designer, then there is no goal or end or telos, right. which means there would be no purpose. Nothing would be purposeful. Because there is nothing that has any goal or, uh, or or desired end, so to say the word the the presence of a creator yeah. is unavoidable. You can't escape God's world. He actually did make bodies 
purposefully. Yes. And, and we can try to act like we're atheists all we want. But we end up talking like the theists we all are. <laughs> we all know God made the world. Romans 1 makes that clear. We suppress it when we go away to college and become agnostics or atheists. We suppress it, but we never actually stop knowing that the God who made us made us. Yeah. We always know it. And so it escapes in our language. And that, by the way, is what I think uh, scripture would tell us. One of the things that hell hates is that which God made for a particular purpose. Hell hates that. Uh, Satan in his pride, wanted to be Yahweh, wanted to have Yahweh's throne, wanted to sit in the place of God. And so when he sees that God has made something for a particular purpose, if he can twist that, if he can make it non-functional, or if he can turn that purpose on its head, mm -hmm. um, that, that's, what, that's what he adores. He loves Satan. Satan loves it when we chop the healthy breasts off a 15-year-old girl and call it gender-affirming care. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would say, I would add one other thing, um, or maybe press it a step further. And you may be you may be headed this way, and I'm preemptively uh, stealing your thunder. I see. But the so anything that has a purpose, so um, your fingers have a purpose to grasp things, carry things, um, and so I would say there is a there would be a certain glee that a, a evil spirit would get out of a human that would lose that capacity mm -hmm. because they're losing a purpose. But I would say that even further than that, the purpose of human sexuality is for the goal of expanding mm -hmm. and increasing our number, which is multiplying the image of God upon the face of the earth. And so there would be a particular hatred for that purpose. Yes. And if I can twist that, and instead of, uh, it's probably a good thing that you said, send kids out of the room if they haven't heard the sex talk yet. But uh, if I can, as a demon, if I can as hell, twist that. So that instead of normal human intercourse, I actually have a man putting what should produce a child and his seed inside what is effectually a, a garbage dump. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've read that language from you and I think it's incredibly yeah. evocative, but it's true. <clears throat> we're going to we're going to take this thing called sex and we're going to invert it completely. We're going to we're going to do the exact opposite of what it's designed to do. Um, th that yeah. is something that would make hell salivate. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, we've we've. We've ha hammered this home point uh, b home before in previous episodes that marriage, sex, and procreation are a composite. They belong together, and by God's design, they go together. Yeah. And if you start pulling them apart, then that's that that is a that is a, under demonic influence. You pull that's those right. things apart. The farther apart those three things are, the happier Satan is. Yeah. Um. She goes on to say. If there's no ovaries, so she describes how they can remove the uterus, they can remove the fallopian tubes, they can remove the ovaries. If there's no ovaries, she says, then there is no higher production of estrogen and progesterone. And because of that, patients who are on testosterone can usually come down on their testosterone dose because they're not competing with that estrogen. In other words, now that we have cut out part of your body that was doing what it was supposed, supposed to, to do, do. <laughs> you can take less of this hormone that you've been adding to your body. I mean, it's horrifying. This is 1984 stuff. This is science fiction. And and it's spoken. This lady, I'm sure she seems sweet. She seems like somebody you, you wouldn't mind sitting next to waiting for a bus or at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But she is saying things that are absolutely wicked and evil and harmful for human beings. And she's saying them in a in a nice conference room with a big flat panel monitor behind her. And, and she looks as kind and warm as can be. And it's it, just as I watched it, it was so nauseating. 
Probably with a sense of self-congratulation Absolutely. of how she's helping people. Absolutely. I'll, I, I mean, to, to your point, uh, the, the urologist who I'll quote here, he actually says, um, we refer to, uh, we, we refer to people as transgender instead of, I think, gender dysphoria, uh, people with gender dysphoria because we're civilized. He actually makes that little joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. so yeah, there, there is a, there's a sense of self-righteousness and it's not merely, uh, normal to cut off penises and close up vaginas. It's actually good. It's proper. And those people who don't want us to do it are backwoods Neanderthals, moral reactionaries. Mm. Um, a couple more. This one is from the, the urologist, uh, the, the chair of urology there at UCLA, Mark Litwin. Starting about the year 2000 up through the mid 2010s, which is when the data goes up until, he says, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of individuals who are given a diagnosis or carry a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is how the people who label these things like to think of transgender individuals. So he acknowledges and he thinks this is a good thing that there's a dramatic increase in the number of people who want these surgeries and are identifying this way. What does that speak to? Is this merely just something that's cropping up organically and more and more people are all of a sudden saying, you know what, I think I'll have my genitals chopped off. I wonder if there's a blood test you could take that will, that by your blood work, it'll tell you whether or not you're gender dysphoric. That's right. And of course, it, I'm being, I'm being facetious yeah. because these things are socially conditioned. That's right. You're not, I mean, somebody may be born with an inclination towards erotic attraction to the same sex. I wouldn't deny that, but I would, I, I would assert strongly that these things can be socially conditioned and they are, which is why we see this dramatic increase from 20 to 2010s. But even in recent years, if that was a dramatic increase in the last five years, the, the it's been exponential. Yeah. The increase. And at some point, uh, I, I, I think history allows me to think this way and, and my Christian hope and optimism, I think are, are also a reason that I take into account when I when I try to think of how this thing must eventually collapse. And I don't know when that will be, um, but when it does, there's going to be a lot of carnage left over. These people who had oh, yeah. genitals cut off or sewn up or removed, these people who had uteruses taken out are going to have their lives forever altered just as much as if I went into the hospital right now and asked for both my arms to be chopped off. We would I'm, say that person's crazy. Exactly. And that person's life would be forever altered even after repentance. And so this is not these this is not uh this is not just abstract and academic. I'm talking about actual people here, and we're warning you against demonic influence that is hurting actual people. Well, th that's already happening. Yeah. The detransitioning, people that regret their surgeries. But there is no the activism energy is all on the other side. Right. Right. Which is horrifying. Um, just one last quote from uh, Dr. Litwin here. So when we do a transgender orchiectomy, and orchiectomy is the removing of one or both testicles, or many times or many types of orchiectomy, in fact, we make an incision here, and he's showing in, in the video, which will be in the show links. There's nothing graphic in the videos. It's all medical sort of like uh, mm -hmm. drawings. But he points to it and he says, we make an incision here at the top of the scrotum. We dissect down through this muscle layer. We get down to where the action is. I mean, just just how how playful it almost seems like this guy is mm -hmm. as he talks. It was, I, I, I felt physically sick. Mm. And that's where we put a silk suture and tie off the blood supply and then physically remove the testicles. And then this last sentence, it's a fairly minor procedure, despite the metaphorical significance. 
Mm. Some 19-year-old young man who's never going to have children now because he came in here and wanted you to chop off his male genitals. It's just metaphorical significance. Mm. That's all I did. I just tampered with his metaphorical significance. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's horrifying. So let me dive a little more deeply here now that I've given you a, a, a taste of the crazy um, that is happening in this, uh, in the, in this particular segment. Uh, but I have abortion and uh, sexual perversion as well to talk about. Let me start with abortion and, and explain it this way. The hellishness of abortion is that our culture increasingly feels about babies and children the way Satan does, which is contempt. Yeah. Satan holds human beings and particularly new human beings, every new soul that has been authored by God, every new, every single one of us is a reminder to him of who he's not. Yeah. Every baby born is a reminder to Satan of the fact that he's not Yahweh. And so he despises babies. Yeah. And unfortunately, our culture is now moving slowly, degree by degree over decades, in alignment with his true north. We now don't like babies. I can yeah. tell we don't like babies because we've murdered 60 million of them. But I can also tell we don't like babies because we're having less of them. And the ones we do have, we treat like problems and like debits on our account. And we try and control how many of them we have. And we really think it's crazy if we have any more than two when our mm -hmm. great, great grandparents would have thought that that was great. Yeah. I remember working at a restaurant uh, when I was in college and, you know, you would you would get excited whenever you would get a party, like uh, a group of 10 or 12 or 15 or something, because you're like, hey, they're going to order a lot of food and more money, more tips. Um, and it's a little bit easier to manage because you're bringing it all out. You know, you're not having four tables at different stages mm -hmm. of, the, of uh, their meal, but it's it's all at once. Um, but when and I remember feeling this way and I the way I felt was the way that other servers felt at the time when you saw the hostess bringing high chairs over. You're like, oh, I see. This is not yeah. a real party. There's going to be a bunch of kids here. And there was a bit of an eye roll and a frustration because you knew they don't eat as much. They're yeah. going to get their chicken nuggets for five bucks yeah. and they're going to do what kids do. They're going to make a mess. So there's going to be less money and more work. Um, and. I remember not, it's not like I consciously held children in contempt, but I saw, I saw children in that instance mm -hmm. as a nuisance, which was something the Lord rebuked in me. Um, as I've gotten older, just saying like, these are eternal image bearers that uh, God loves and that people love and are valuable. Yeah. But that's a, a, that's just a small little way that we can show contempt or absolutely. Or, devaluing children as a nuisance and and whether or not a particular cluster of demons has sort of written that rule and kind of subconsciously spun it out among all of the american culture that is a hellish way of thinking and i'm grateful for i i got an example from my father of of not buying into it uh so my dad had my mom and dad had a, at least a couple of miscarriages before i was born and a lot of people after a couple of miscarriages may be nervous about getting pregnant again or may not want to have kids and we've had a miscarriage i'm not the pain that goes into a miscarriage is real and is perhaps the greatest pain a woman can experience but my parents decided to continue having kids in faith and now this past christmas i'm sitting there next to my dad and he's got five grown children four sons and a daughter each of them is now married uh one of them, me, has six kids. The next one down has four kids. The next one down has 
two kids. The next one down has four kids and the next one, the kids will be coming. So he's surrounded by this. It's Christmas morning and everybody's opening up presents and everybody's singing and talking and laughing and joking. And he's just sitting there basking in all of it mm. because he chose to not drink the Kool-Aid that we're all being offered, that kids are just an annoyance. Yeah. Um, and That's so, yeah, powerful I powerful picture. It is. Uh, so, so there is a hellishness in infanticide and abortion and the contempt that we, uh, have for children next in this sort of threefold, um, hellish landscape that I'm, I'm trying to argue for here. There is a particular hellishness to sexual perversion. Our culture increasingly detests the bounds and purposes of sex. And that is just like how Satan detested his own bounds and purposes. Uh, that's language from scripture that the rebel angels and Satan in particular detested or um, did not stay within the bounds set around him. And that's what we do. We sex, one of the things that's closest to our core, one of the things that is essential to our humanity. I mean, it, we it's are, how we got here. We, it's how we got here. We wouldn't exist without sex. And even if we're celibate, like the apostle Paul, we are gendered. So, so sex is absolutely essential to being human. And we're pressing sex uh, as as far out away from the boundaries as we can. Uh, and that that is demonic. And yeah. then thirdly, the hellishness of <clears throat> self-mutilation, which is some of what I just described there, where people are going to UCLA and paying money or having their insurance pay money so that they can have body parts chopped off and organs removed. And um, it, it, it's it's horrifying. Sin leads to death, and the first sinner, Satan, has been a murderer from the beginning. Jesus says that in the Gospel of John. Where you see a culture fascinated with and frenzied over self-mutilation and self-destruction, you are seeing a culture with demonic desires. Do you have any, do you see any connection in self-mutilation, not just in the, I, I would say gender, uh, whatever you would call mm -hmm. it, uh, these surgeries, is there do you see a connection there between uh, that and let's say a teenage kid who's cutting, uh, harming themselves in that sort of way? Yeah. So f uh, first off, let's start calling them gender destruction surgeries. I'm going to go ahead and trademark that right now. GDS. GDS. Um, I do. So uh, we're, we're going to get to the Bible and to um, some biblical, uh, some Bible saturated thinking here in a moment. So I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but there is warrant for thinking that taking a sharp object and cutting the flesh that God gave you is demonic in the sense that it is what a demon would want to do. If you gave him a knife, he would want to cut your flesh too. Mm -hmm. And he likes that you're cutting yours. Um, and it also could be demonic in the sense that it could be. I mean, there are people who are possessed by unclean spirits right. who cut themselves as a part of that possession. Yeah. I can think of some examples in scripture that I'm sure that you'll get to well, in a yeah. moment, but I, I can think of a, a, a good friend of mine that, um, we've, he, that was something he did when he was cut himself. Yeah. When he was in high school. Um, and it was, and I asked him about it and, um, what I know of him. Um, he, he's a guy who is, He's brilliant, very intelligent uh, man, but also just he he hates himself mm -hmm. as a as, as a disposition, and that I mean a lot of people have their insecurities, but I, th but I think there was a there was a unique degree to which he hated himself. Um, and but when I it it wasn't so consciously connected for him that I am cutting myself because I want to destroy that which mm -hmm. I hate. 
it was more like he, he hated himself into a sense of numbness yeah. and he would cut himself to feel. He's like, I don't feel anything. I'm just numb. And he would cut himself just to feel maybe um, the, the sensation, uh, yeah. but it's, but it, it is a, it is a destruction of our body, destruction yeah. of our flesh. I, I, I wish that guy were here right now and I could talk to him just because my heart breaks for, for men like that in particular. Um, that said, um, let's, let's go back to the Holocaust example. There might be a particular guard within Auschwitz or Dachau who is helping push Jews into the, into the gas chambers, right? Where they're getting killed who he himself may not be directly influenced by a demon, mm -hmm. but the evil thing that he is doing is within an enterprise that, that demons and Satan love. They are happy Auschwitz exists. And, yeah. and, and their fingerprints are all over the movement and the enterprise and, the, and the, the fact that this is in the culture of the Third Reich, even if they may not be pushing that individual guard to do his individual act. Yeah. Well, I, I can think of a, a corollary that this may, this may be a, an accurate depiction. Um, you think of a leader. So I, as a pastor of a church, I know that there are some people that are directly under my influence. Um, there's a, you know, you know, people that work on staff with me or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, close associates, people in my family. But I know that there is, because we are all connected relationally, there is a culture that builds up, and I know that my leadership has a direct bearing on that. The things I emphasize, the way that I preach, the the things that I care about, the things that I say, hey, we are going to emphasize this as a church. And I have no idea the extent to which that extends. Yeah. Um, and so you could have maybe a singular source of influence, but it could play itself out in ripple effects to where you might have um, one one uh, demonic power or entity that is working in a particular individual and through, or a group of individuals even, but I mean, demons are not omnipresent there. They can't just do the way the Holy spirit does, which right. is be everyone's, but they can work uh, perhaps through multiple individuals and uh, be able to concentrate effort and energy there. And then through those individuals, there is an influence and effect that creates a culture, a demonic culture that celebrates that which the demon was hoping to get us to celebrate. That's exactly right. If, if you were to take the Apostle Paul or Moses uh, or John the Evangelist, if you were to take some incredibly mature, uh, spirit-filled believer in Yahweh and drop them in the middle of 1941 Germany, they would be able to walk around a concentration camp and say, this is not just human evil. Yeah. And I think the same thing would happen at Planned Parenthood. If you were to drop the Apostle Paul into a room where they are cutting and ripping and sucking human babies out of women's uteruses and they're doing it by the thousands per day he would this is not just merely some sort of human mistake that's happening here yeah. there is something animating the whole enterprise hmm. so that's our that's that's uh the threefold uh god assaulting human hating sort of uh flanking movement that that i think hell is making against yeah. our culture right now. Just skip down to the Bible saturated thinking part. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump in abortion. Um, let me read to you from second Chronicles chapter 33 verses five through nine, a, a wicked King in scripture named Manasseh. Now this is what the Bible says about his idolatry and his worshiping of the heavenly host, which, which is 
the created spiritual beings who are not Yahweh. People throughout history have worshipped these created spiritual beings mm-hmm. that for shorthand we can call demons. Um, people have throughout history worshipped these things and Manasseh, the king of God's people, apparently sinfully uh, waded into this. So here's 2 Chronicles 33, 5 through 9. And he, Manasseh, built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of Yahweh. So he has built altars for demons in the house of Yahweh. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with medium mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger. Let me stop there. So in addition to sorcery and talking to the dead necro you know using necromancers in addition to mediums what did these heavenly hosts these demons what did they get out of manasseh what were they able to fish out of him Mm. the burning of his sons Mm. that's that's where his demonic worship led um just one more i'll I'll jump to jeremiah quickly in chapter seven so the prophet jeremiah uh several times in his in his book rebukes Israel and Judah for their um, infanticide, for their murdering of their sons and their daughters. Here's one place in uh, verses 30 through 32 of Jeremiah 7. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, says Yahweh, through Jeremiah, he says this. And they have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. So they brought in idols into his house. They're Mm -hmm. worshiping false gods. What does that cause them to do? They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. God, he sets himself against these idols. It did not come into my mind. I did not ever, ever think of or desire the burning of your sons. Yeah. It came into the mind of you all as you worshiped these false gods, because you become like what you worship. Mm. False gods hate humans. And the more you worship false gods, the more you will become like them. Yeah. Um, can I, can I just real quick, I, I want to read a couple quotes yeah, that kind going. of illustrate. So this is that scripture, but I, I wanted to set sort of in tandem, like well, well, we, we don't exactly do exactly that Planned Parenthood, you know, may not burn their children in the Valley of Hinnom. Yeah. But it, it, I think that that's, um, that would be a, an easy objection to make. It's like, well, that was their weird pagan religion and they were doing it because they thought that that would make their crops grow yeah. or something like that. And I think the connection that you're driving at is like they, these, just because you're not doing it overtly as an act of worship, yes. you're still doing it in a spiritual sense. And and they hate babies, uh, which is similar to how we hate babies in the West. The practice is similar. Let me read to you just to, to kind of illustrate the similarity. This is from, we'll put it in the show notes, a British academic paper. Um, there are three medical professionals in England. They quote uh, women who had abortions by choice. Uh, this was a listener question we had a couple of weeks ago. What do we mean by abortion? And the woman who was asking was asking because she had had a miscarriage. And in the chart, that reads abortion. My wife had a miscarriage too. And I'm sure in her chart, it reads that. The chart's wrong. And our medical community is doing that intentionally, I think, so as to normalize abortion. Well, look, this lady whose baby died in her womb yeah. naturally, she had an abortion too. No, she didn't. Yeah, so when there's we, like a, a, a spontaneous abortion exactly. that the, the body did on its own. And then there's like a 
An artificial abortion performed by a doctor. That's right. And a guy who died in his sleep is not the same as a guy who was bludgeoned to death with an axe. Yeah. Murdering a baby, poisoning a baby, and sucking the baby's body out is not the same as a baby dying and removing the baby from the womb where it died. Those are not the same thing. So in this paper, they make that clear. They, they say elective abortions. And these three women uh, quote some mothers who had elective abortions. Their main purpose of the paper was, what do women who had elective abortions, who, who paid someone to murder their baby, what do they think about what happens to the baby's body afterwards? What do they think about what happens to the baby's body afterwards? So here's a quote. The from, body. From, to the body. Gotcha. The baby's okay. dead. We paid the National Institute of Health or whatever the socialized medicine enterprise mm -hmm. in England is called. We paid them to kill the baby. Now, what do, what do we think? They're asking us, these women who wrote this paper, what do we think about what happens to our baby's body, our fetus's body, okay. as they would probably say. So here's the women, a quote from the beginning of the paper and then a few quotes from mothers. Prior to the abortion, the three women who wrote the paper say, prior to abortion, most participants did not give consideration to disposal methods because their focus was on ending the pregnancy. They didn't care what happened to the body of the baby they were paying to have murdered because they were thinking about getting rid of the baby. And then participants generally favored separation of fetal tissue from other clinical ways. Hmm. I probably don't want my baby's body, my fetus's body, with just dirty paper towels and stuff. And approved of incineration. Burning. As a means of destruction. Hmm. They approved of the burning of their baby's bodies as a means of destruction. Uh, one of the women says, they, they quote a few women, uh, I mean, I think most people, me in particular, had so many other things going on that I just wanted to get rid of it at the time and sort of without thinking too much about, oh, what happens now to it? Another, I didn't actually know, and it sounds really mean, but I just got it over and done with. Another, as far as my brain went, it was, you got rid of it. End of. And then one more. I said to my mom, do I put it down the toilet? Because I thought, will it flush? Because it's quite big. Where will it go? We just wrapped it up and put it down the toilet. We didn't know what to do with it. You don't know how to dispose of it when it comes out like that. That last one, is she, is she referring to? She must have been given pills. I think they can prescribe pills okay. that you can then take at home, which then cause the baby to die and gotcha. come out of you. Hmm. Those quotes and, and that, that knowledge that women preferred that the baby be separated from other medical ways because it's more than just a, a, a piece of dirty yeah mm -hmm. a, a paper goods but go ahead and burn it yeah tell me that couldn't have been the valley the of answer Hinnom. yeah the answer that one of the women at the valley of Hinnom would have given so there's there's abortion a, a biblical uh dive or some biblical uh, exposition about the infanticide and the contempt we have for children and how it is demonic and hellish. Let me, let me give just a, a bit of biblical thinking and Christian thinking on sexual perversion. Uh, 200 years after our Lord, 8195, uh, Clement of Alexandria. Alexandria is the uh, Egyptian town where Athanasius was from. Um, so some of our Apollos, who's in the New Testament, was from yeah. Alexandria. It's a, it's a, it was a, in, in the days of Christ and in the few hundred years after, a very Christian town. And Clement, one of the early Christian leaders there, said, the whole, the whole earth has now become full of fornication 
and wickedness. I admire the ancient legislators of the Romans. These men detested effeminacy of conduct. They detested men who acted like women, men who played the part of women, men who allowed themselves to be pursued by other men as though they were women. The giving of the body, he says, to feminine purposes, me playing the woman so that mm -hmm. you can penetrate me and sexually gratify yourself on me. He says, contrary to the law of nature, they judged worthy of the most extreme penalty. He's talking about the Romans. Yes. Not Christians. Correct. And he is saying there is something in their own society that they were able to recognize is so contrary to nature that we, who don't even know the creator God, can't tolerate it, can't handle it. We punish it. We look mm. on it with with some measure of disgust, uh, despite the fact that, you know, pederasty and, and homosexuality were in the Roman system. Yeah. The people of the ancient world were aware of the fact that there is something particularly noxious, poisonous, harmful yeah. about this act of a man putting himself in another man. That is not normal. That is not good. Mm -hmm. And Clement is correctly identifying that. But, uh, more explicitly from scripture, Jude chapter one, the second last, second to last book of the New Testament. Uh, Jude, written by our Lord's brother, I believe. Jude says this in verses six and seven. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. There were angels who pushed their bounds and God has now put them under chains until the great day. And what does he compare these angels to who rebelled against their bounds? The next verse, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and, Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. And just in case you're like, well, okay, but I've heard Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin was lack of hospitality. <laughs> so the angels were inhospitable. They didn't invite people in their homes, just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you like a cup of tea? Right. No, he tells us what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us the angels who rebelled against God are like these two groups of cities here in the valleys, in the, in the, in the, the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. They are like these angels who rebelled because they pursued sexual immorality and unnatural mm -hmm. desire. Sodom and Gomorrah in their sexual sin were like demons. Yeah, and th that text... Um... I would argue, and um, whenever we, in a future episode that we've got planned, uh, I would argue that, he, that this is a specific reference to Genesis 6, where he's saying that the the angels in Genesis mm -hmm. 6, they transgressed the boundary mm -hmm. where they took human women. That's right. They took wives. So there, there was, it was a, a mirroring of a, a, an act of a transgressing of a spiritual and earthly boundary was that there was that transgression of a boundary and there was a transgression of a sexual boundary. And that was analogous to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, yep. which both of which invited God's judgment. And these transgressing of these sexual boundaries, this is something that God finds particularly wicked and that the authors of scripture account for as particularly wicked. Think of Genesis 
where Noah, his son apparently saw him naked and he becomes cursed and his son becomes cursed because of apparently whatever he did or saw that was particularly. He uncovered his father's nakedness yeah. is what the language is. And I don't, I don't want to push beyond scripture, but I don't think that, I don't think he's saying there, Moses is saying in Genesis that, that he merely like lifted the blanket. Yes. Yeah, so I, I have a, I might have a different take on that okay. uh, text. I mean, I, th I think that there's a sexual immorality there. Um, some have argued that the sexual morality is with his dad. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think another take is with the mom. Is that with your, his mom? Yeah. Because to uncover your father's nakedness or uncover a man's nakedness is to sleep with yeah. the, the woman. Uh, so I, there but could have been point some incestuous relationship, which would the same point. Exactly. Applies. Because the point is you're pushing past the bounds, which in the, in the, uh, law that Moses brings down from Sinai and that he uh, expounds upon in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy absolutely has stiff penalties and a very clear uh, yeah. detesting of men sleeping with their daughters or their sons, uh, sons trying to sleep with their stepmoms. You even see that one repeated in the New Testament and Paul coming down hard on it. For that reason, these boundaries about sex, this is not the exact same thing as uh, being a tax collector. Yeah. So being a tax collector in Jesus's day would have likely been sinful in almost every case because of what you were doing, the nature of being a traitor to your people and almost certainly taking more than you had to take. I mean, that's why you see Zacchaeus and Matthew um, identified as tax collectors and part of their repentance is leaving that profession. But that is not the same type of sin. It's not identical to a man pursuing another man and penetrating him in attempted sexual intercourse. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I, I imagine some listeners would, that would catch their ear and they might push back um, because we, we haven't, uh, I think they're inclined. A lot of people are inclined to think that, well, all sins are the same. All sins are equal. Um, you know, any sin deserves eternal punishment, eternal, um, you know, separation from God or eternal torment under God's wrath and judgment. Um, but that is not the teaching of scripture. No. The scriptures that, it, and, and a pushback from another angle would be that, well, you're making light of sins that would be lesser than the greater sins, which is not the case either. No. Um, there is no intent on our part to minimize sin or to make excuses for any sin. However, the scripture does delineate some sins are of a certain magnitude that they they're more heinous. Right. And this is also attested to in the Westminster standards. Yes, absolutely. Um, the shorter catechism, I believe is question 83. Longer, the longer one is question 150. Same question. Are all sins equally heinous in the sight of God? And the answer is no, some sins are more heinous by reason of aggravations. And I don't remember the exact language, but, but yeah, it's that there are, there are degrees of sin and some sins have a uniquely strong smell of hell. That's right. All sins offend the same God, but yeah. all sins are not the same. Any sin would separate you from God. If all I had ever done, apart from original sin, let's say somehow I was not affected or tainted by original sin in the covenant had Adam, but I had told one lie. Sure, absolutely. That would separate me from God. But that does not mean all sins have the same blast radius. They don't. And scripture is clear on that. So greed is wicked and greed can lead a man to do wicked things. It is not the same as a grown man sexually molesting a four-year-old. It's not the same. Yeah. And we know it's not the same. We know it's not the same. 
with this yeah. this egalitarian way we have of flattening out all sins as though all sins and every action that we commit has the same moral weight if it, it was either black or white and if it was black they're all black yeah that's absolutely not true and it's a way that we become less discerning and more easily duped by sin whenever we just assume that it's all the same by the way if we ha if we actually believed that all bad actions were morally equal and all good actions were morally equal to each other we wouldn't have hero and villain stories yeah. The reason why our stories have heroes is because some people went over, above, and beyond what was virtuous. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we have villains in our stories is because some people went down further into the filth. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, one last one, um, self-mutilation. So some biblical warrant on uh, self-mutilation being particularly heinous, particularly hellish, particularly de demonic is in 1 Kings 18. So this is a story that many of us will be uh, pretty familiar with it's a it's a very famous example of Christian courage of a believer in Yahweh standing up against that which is idolatrous and evil in his day the prophet Elijah who was God's chosen man to rebuke uh, the wicked king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel has a showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal mm -hmm. and here's the prophets of Baal calling out to their their false god um, and as they do this happens they they took in verse 26 they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal answer us. So here are these prophets of this false God screaming out to him, but there was no voice. The text says, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep. I must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. That's just that that's one of several places where the cutting of oneself is associated with the worship of a false god. Mm. And it's because of the teleo the teleology, the point of a human body. We are made to glorify God. And when we destroy ourselves, when we cut ourselves, when we remove healthy mm. organs, when we kill ourselves, when when we uh, when we do things that would that would pain or, or make ugly that which God made to glorify him forever, we are doing hell's work for it. Yeah. To cut mm. off your genitals is to do hell's work for it. Yeah. Mm. So um, we've, we've seen here, I hope that God has made us for a reason and that because he's made us for a reason, these these three uh, fires, these three wildfires that are burning here in the American landscape have the aroma of the demonic. Can I ask you um, for some logs and specs within the American church, within uh, maybe your own Christianity? Uh, can I ask you, where, where are you seeing any particular... Um, uh, deviancies or, or weaknesses or faults in the American church as relates to these, these three wildfires. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, we make light of the spiritual realm. Um, there is a, there is a sense that these are, uh, like demonic powers or whatever. That's, it's like what the, the, the extent to which we allow ourselves to really engage in the supernatural is Jesus was resurrected from the dead. There are, demonic powers that work in the world um but it the there are parts of the bible that i think we don't really want to 
acknowledge or deal with because they might seem a little embarrassing. Mm. We might think, um, well, they seem to see a lot of demons in the New Testament. Jesus cast out a lot of demons. The apostles cast them out in the book of Acts uh, for conditions that we might now say, well, he might have had some kind of you know mental illness or mm. whatever. It's like we... We, we have this therapeutic layer that we apply to the scripture. And, and I think that there's a, probably a hesitation to really acknowledge that demonic powers are actually at work in the world. The problem is that we can't see them. And so there is an act of faith required to acknowledge their presence, no less than the faith that is required then to acknowledge the presence of God and Jesus Christ as his uh, son. And to believe all the truths of the gospel, we are also acting in faith to say, I think there may be a demonic element at work mm-hmm. here. And those things are more speculative as we apply it now. So anything good that comes into our life, we can give praise to God because God brought this good thing into my life. When something bad happens, well, we can't automatically assume, well, some demon did that. Therefore, we disregard the presence of the demonic at all and look for purely humanistic answers. Um, either I was foolish or, you know, God brought this into my life mm. for some purpose. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is like the Bible encourages us to think about um, the demonic, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. That's right. Um, this, the battle, take put on the full armor of God. The, the battle is not flesh and blood. There's, there are these scriptures that invite us to think about the demonic mm-hmm. into, and I think that should infect our preaching, um, our conversation, our prayers. While, while acknowledging, we don't always know exactly what's going on, but we we do we have enough data from scripture to tell us that we can at least acknowledge that they're at work in the world and they're likely at work in particular situations. And I think the goal of this episode is that. There are some things that have such an aroma of hell mm-hmm. that it should be undeniable that when we see it, that we can we can know there's something of that's under in under the influence yeah. of a demonic power. And so I think it's uh, we the speck in our eye is a church is that we're naturalistic. We've disenchanted the world. We treat the world as functionally atheistic, but we um, we're pretty hesitant. And, and, and I, I say this in my own testimony, I have been, there are times when there's a, I'm curious, I'm, I'm interested, I want to learn. And yet I want to, I want to feel like I can understand something exhaustively mm-hmm. uh, before I really buy in. And so that's, that's been an area of repentance for me, for me to, for me to just get over myself and acknowledge, man, I'm not stupid. I look at things that I see in the world, I'm like, that is demonic. Yes. And to just say it and to just acknowledge it, this is demonic. Can we not say this is wicked, but we want to be sophisticated. We we don't want to be kooky. Yeah. Kooky Christians that find a demon under every rock and they're 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 kind of hypersensitive to it. Um, so I would say like the biggest speck, or at least a big speck in our eye as the modern church is we just don't want to touch the stuff. We don't want to go near it. I'm encouraged by, and I think partly because the wickedness of the world is becoming so overt and the spiritual aspects of it are becoming so obvious. We're like, we can't deny it any further. Um, It's, 
it's not hidden. It's way out in the open. Yeah, I do think that's that's a log that I think is slowly falling out. That, that, that God is removing it. I do think more and more Christians, at least in our circles, in the Reformed world, uh, and and even in non-Reformed but but conservative Christians, you and I have talked about this in the past. There are podcasts and and conversations and books and the Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. I know at some mm-hmm. point we'll engage with uh, in in the podcast, but. Even guys who we may not agree with, you know, Heiser's Arminian. I think he's apparently got some egalitarian tendencies. He but, does. Yeah. But because the demonic is more and more apparent, I agree with you. It seems like a lot of us, myself included, are repenting of refusing to acknowledge it. And so let, let me leave you with this uh, exhortation. Christian, if you, if you picture like a, a deer out there in the meadow, and when it when it smells a wolf, when it smells a predator, it it perks its head up and it looks around and it tries to mm-hmm. to identify. Am I about to get eaten here? Am I about to get chased <laughs> down and and destroyed? Am I about to get gobbled up? For us to walk around the United States right now and have no sense at all of the demonic and the satanic around us is to is to is to basically make ourselves available to be victims. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be victims of hell. We want to pray <clears throat> against and preach against and live against and build households against. Uh, we want to we want to have churches that are monuments against the army of hell. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Christ, mm-hmm. but the gates of hell are always animated against us. And so let's never forget that they're there and let's go out in faith uh, prepared to fight for the Lord who has already defeated Satan. 